forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. Welcome to our house. Uh, I want to say again, welcome. We are so glad you're here today, especially if it's your first time or your first time in a while. Uh, We are so thankful that you've chosen to be with us today. And we want to say again that we hope you find uh, what so many of us have found that uh, this place really is a place you can call home. So if you're looking for a place like that, we would love nothing more uh, than to welcome you into this family as we strive to live different, uh, to live into the life that Jesus is calling us into. Uh, We are in the middle of a series that we're calling Legacy Makers. And so if you're just stepping into that, I'll catch you up uh, real quickly. Uh, This is what we believe. Uh, We believe the life you live matters. We believe believe the way you live the life you live matters. We believe it matters matters to God and it matters to the people that God has put around you in in your life. And we believe that leaving a legacy matters. And, And as people of faith, it's how we leave a legacy of faith that we're really interested in thinking about and talking about together. How can we pass on this faith that we've given, this faith that we've received in Jesus to the next generation? How can we as parents, how can we as grandparents pass on this faith in Jesus uh, to the next generation? How can we reach the community around us uh, with this message of Jesus, this love of Jesus that we've talked about this morning already? How does how does that work? And I don't know about you, but as we keep talking about this, as we keep walking through this series, uh, there seems to be, at least in my spirit, an, an urgency rising. Uh, there's an urgency that, that we've got we've to make a move. We've got to do something. We've got we've to always have it on our radar that this, is, this matters, that this is important, that, that this faith that we hold and cherish, that it is so vital that we find ways to share it and also pass it on to the next generation. So as we begin today, I want to I carry all, all that forward into, into today, into this time together. And I want to start with this question. Where is your citizenship? Where is your citizenship? Uh, for years and years, uh, I was able to lead a group of people down in, to Mexico uh, on a mission trip. And every year, we would take a charter bus. We'd fly to San Diego, load the buses, drive down to go across the border. And as we got close to the border, we, you know, about 20, 30 minutes out, I'd always get on the, uh, the speakers, and I would always give the same speech. Hey, when we get to the border, I don't know what to expect. There's several ways this could go down. They may ask us to get off the bus. They may ask us to get our luggage off the bus. They may get on the bus. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. You're going to see soldiers. You're going to see men carrying guns. There may be some dogs. There may be some different things. There may be an x-ray machine. There may be all this. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's always different. But they're going to ask you this question, where is your citizenship? And when they ask you that question, just say, the United States of America, and, that, and then they'll move on to the next person. They ask that question because your citizenship matters. I, I've shared this story before, but a, a few years ago, my wife and I, Alicia, we decided to uh, take our kids down to Mexico for Thanksgiving, just, just, just our family to go down to see some friends and to visit with some folks that we love and that we call family. And, and so we, we get down 
get down there, spend a wonderful week with, with friends, celebrate uh, there with people that we love. And then we're get, getting ready to come back uh, across the border from Mexico back into the United States. And when you're not on a charter bus, then you have to come back into the country like everybody else does. So you get out of your car, you get in this long line, and you wait, and you wait, and you kind of slowly inch up to where you get to go inside and, and uh, answer those questions again, and, and then hopefully make it across the border and all that good stuff. As we were getting uh, closer and closer to, uh, to that area, I realized that um, we were standing in a really neat spot. Now, I've shared this story, and I may have shared this picture before, but I noticed that we were right there. There was a plaque on the wall that said, this is the actual physical border between Mexico and the United States. So I told my son, Willie, he's like five or six years old at the time, I was like, put one foot on each side of that line because, like, this is awesome. You can literally be in two places at once. You can be in two countries at one time. You can have one foot in this country and one foot in, in that country. What an, awesome, what an awesome thing. I think this is the tension that we live in, though, isn't it? When I ask you, what is your citizenship or where is your citizenship, what you probably think about is where you're from. You think about your birthplace. You think about your nationality. You think about the country you were born in. You think about uh, the place you pledge allegiance to. You think about all of these things. And for a lot of you, that's the United States. That's where you were born. That's where your citizenship is. For others of you, it may be another country. And if that's you, I want to say thank you for coming to Riverside today and being here. You are welcome here, and we are glad that you are here. But when you think about citizenship, that's probably what you think about. You probably think about where you were born, where you came from, the place you belong to, the place you pledge allegiance to. You probably know this, but if you come to the United States from another, from another country and you want to become a citizen of the United States, one of the many things you have to do in order to become a citizen here is take an oath of allegiance. Did you know this? And I thought I would share this with you. I thought this was interesting. I found this this week. This is the naturalization oath of allegiance to the United States of America. This is what you have to say out loud before you become an official legal citizen of the United States. You say this, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me, God. Now, I don't know how you feel about that oath of allegiance. I'm not real sure how I feel about it. But, but it makes it abundantly clear, doesn't it, that when you become a citizen of the United States, you are renouncing all other allegiances to all other countries in service to the United States. So what happens when we start thinking about citizenship, not just in physical terms, but in spiritual terms? So, so follow me here. I'm not really talking about politics today. I'm not talking about citizenship of this country 
I'm not talking about one country being better than another country or if we're right or wrong about how we view that or about how we handle that. That's, that's not what we're talking about today. What I want to lean into is this tension that I think all of us feel of living with one foot in this country while also living with another foot planted in a different country. And I think you can follow along with me, whether you're a believer and you're all in with Jesus or not. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're trying to follow the Jesus way, then you know what I'm talking about. Because you're trying to live, and you have to because you've got one foot planted on planet Earth. You are dwelling in a context, in a country. You are a citizen of some place. Whether you're, you're from here or not, you carry that identity. But you also have one foot planted in the kingdom of heaven. And how do, you, how do you live in both places? And for some people who aren't believers in Jesus and who aren't followers of Jesus, this is one of their hangups. They don't know how you do this. They don't know how we do this. They don't know if you can do this. Can, can you? Can you simultaneously live as a, as a citizen of a country of this world and at the same time live as a citizen of heaven and if so which one gets your primary allegiance which one which one do you serve over the other how does that work out in your life how does that tension unfold in your life the good news the good news is i believe this is true That God has given you one identity to live from and another identity to leverage. Uh, If you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you want to open that up, we're going to be in Philippians 3. All throughout the series, we've been dwelling in this text from uh, Philippians 3. And just to back up one more time and and to to, to give you this context again, uh, Philippians is a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in Philippi. Now, what's interesting is that Paul actually started this church. It was the first church started uh, in Europe. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, so it's filled with, uh, with lots of people, but, but there are lots of Roman citizens that live there. In fact, a large part of the population of Philippi was, was uh, former Roman officers, Roman soldiers from the Roman army. One way to become a Roman citizen was to serve in the Roman army. And when you retired from the army, no matter your original country of origin, uh, you could then be a citizen of Rome. And being a citizen of Rome was important because when you were a citizen of Rome, that carried certain benefits and privileges and rights that you didn't have if you weren't a citizen of Rome. So Paul writes this letter to Philippi, this church that he started. He had lived there. He had, he had been there. He had planted this church. He had started this church. So he's writing to a people that he knew fairly well, many of whom were Roman citizens. And oh, by the way, Paul himself is a Roman citizen. We're not sure exactly how his parents became Roman citizens, but Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. So just, just that fact alone gave Paul certain rights certain privileges, certain benefits. And in fact, when Paul started the church in Philippi, this citizenship issue came into play. Uh, you can back up later and read the story in Acts 16. I'll give you the, uh, the short version. It's really an amazing story. Paul is there with his partner in ministry, a man by the name of Silas, who is also a Roman citizen. And they're working to start a church, to start the very first church in Philippi. So they're there in, this, in that city, sharing the news of Jesus, doing ministry there in that place. 
They see this girl who's possessed by a demon. That demon possession gave her a special gift. She could see the future and tell the future. Now, she was owned. She had become a slave to these masters who were leveraging her ability because, because of her demon possession to make money. So just a side note. This is not the message today, but you know this is true. The enemy, the enemy always loves to put powerless people up under the power of other people and leverage them for his purposes, and that is just pure evil. Paul and Silas see this. There's more to the story, but they cast the demon out of the girl. Well, when the girl's masters find out that she no longer is possessed by a demon, she can no longer see the future and tell the future. She becomes worthless. They don't see her as a person with, uh, you know, with, with worth because she is a person created in the image of God. They see her uh, uh, as, as someone who is worth something because she has a way, a power, an ability, a gift to, they can leverage to make them money. And when she can no longer help them pad their bank accounts, now she becomes worthless in their eyes. They get upset, so upset, they cause a riot in Philippi, a riot that results in Paul and Silas being beaten without limit and thrown in jail without a trial. Now, that's a problem because if you are a Roman citizen, one of your rights, one of the benefits, one of the privileges is that if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're accused of committing a crime, you are entitled to a trial. If that trial results... And you being found guilty of whatever crime it was they said you committed, then you can be punished or beaten or imprisoned or whatever. But even that had limitations on what could happen to you. Paul and Silas are accused, beaten without limit, thrown in jail without a trial. The next day, the community leaders wake up and they're like, man, what were we thinking? These guys, they didn't break the law. They didn't do anything wrong. All right, send word to the jailer. Tell them to let them go. And I, want you, I just want you to hear Paul's response that next day when that word comes down from the community leaders. In Acts 16, 37 to 39, this is, this is the story. Paul replied, um, They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Do you think Paul was a little upset about what went down? When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed, to say the least, to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. Why? Because they were scared. They were terrified. They had beaten and imprisoned two Roman citizens without a trial and without any limits. Now they're the ones who had broken the law. I say all that just to set up this one idea that Paul knew what it meant to be the citizen of one country, but to live as a citizen of another. Do you see that? Paul knew what it meant. And I believe he had all of this in mind. Years later, when he's writing to this church to his friends in Philippi, and he says this. Now we're in Philippians 3, in verse 20. Paul says this to this church. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. That's who we are. That's our identity. 
And we said this last week, but the, the pattern of our lives, it should be shaped by our primary identity. And this is why we have to live different, because our citizenship is in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And this wasn't the first time Paul had used this language or, or referred to it in this way. If you back up just two chapters, Paul had already said this exact same thing in chapter 1, verse 27. There he said it this way, above all, to the same people, to the same church, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. What's the good news of Jesus Christ? Uh, William just, just, just referred to it in John three sixteen, one of the most famous verses of all time, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Paul said it another way in Philippians 2, in, in almost as famous a passage. You've heard this, I'm sure, before. Paul says in Philippians 2 that Christ Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being in human form. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel. This is the good news of God. It's, it's, it's the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ who came to earth, who died on a cross, who was resurrected again, and one day he will come again, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Oh, come on now. I mean, if there's anything we can get excited about, it's this, that one day, Jesus will return. And he will make all things the way that they were always supposed to be. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. And every pain, every suffering, every problem of this life, it will go away. Why? Because sin will go away. Because Jesus will return. And we're going to live an eternal, everlasting life. And it's going to be the best life. Why? Because it's going to be the world the way God always intended the world to be. And so we conduct our lives as citizens of heaven. Not, not so we can get in. This is a big, a big deal. You understand this, right? We don't live a certain way so that we can earn our way in as citizens of heaven. No. No, Jesus, Jesus did everything that needed to be done. He did. We live this way because we are. We are citizens of heaven. So there is a way that we live. There is a way that we behave. There's a way we conduct our lives. And it's because of our identity as citizens of heaven. So your citizenship, it determines your conduct. Your allegiance defines your behavior. Your loyalty leads to a certain kind of lifestyle. And as citizens of heaven... This has always been true, and it has never been more true than it is right now. We live as people who have a mission and a purpose. Paul lived his life. Think about his life. If you know much about his story, he lived his life for the benefit of God's church. He lived his life for the spread of his gospel. He lived his life for the glory of the name 
of Jesus. Paul says we are to live different. We are to live as citizens of heaven and conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I have to ask this question. Parents, grandparents, get around this legacy idea for a minute and just think about this. Are we living as citizens of heaven? Are we living from this primary identity? Do our children, do our grandchildren, do they know that the primary identity that we are living from is that we are citizens of heaven? When we started planning this series, I was thinking about this whole idea, and I wanted to go back and and dig in again to the research and the data and to what they're saying now about families, about faith, about children, about grandchildren. I went to Rhonda, I went to Grace, and they're, they're tapped into this now more than I am. And, and they began looking, I began looking, and, and came across this research, pretty recent research done by Lifeway. And there, there's a lot of it. I'm not going to give you a deluge of info, but I do want to hit some highlights because I want you to think about at least what the numbers suggest from the study they did. It's a study called the Nothing Less survey. And according to their study, they say that, get this, 96% of parents agree that they consistently try to be better parents. But only 29% of Christian parents, the ones they talk to, say that faith is the most important influence on their parenting. Wow. Is that, is that stunning? Anybody? That was stunning to me. It is, I mean, that raises a lot of questions, but here's the big one for me. Is there a disconnect, parents, grandparents, between our, our faith, our personal faith in Jesus and what we believe? Is that over here? But then how we parent, how we try to raise our kids is over here. Have we disconnected the two? 84% of Americans, according to their study, say that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. And then get this, 66% of Christians agree that the highest goal in life is to enjoy yourself. Is that what we're living for? 83% of parents agree that they should be the ones responsible for their child's spiritual development. I was really happy to hear that number. That's, that's good. But then get this. Only 29% say their kids regularly read the Bible. Only 28% say their kids spend regular time in prayer. There's more research. There's more numbers. But do you feel the disconnect? I feel it. Do you feel the the disconnect between who we're called to be as living as a people on mission with a purpose, as living as citizens on heaven, and then the faith that we're actually passing down to our children. I think what's happened in a very subtle way, and you can certainly disagree with me on this, but I feel this way, that a lot of us grew up in a church, we grew up in a time, we grew up in an American culture where church was the center of our world. It was the center of our culture. And at least when I grew up, you went to church two days a week, three days a week, really more like five days a week. You know, the mentality was, if you build it, they will come. If you announce it, they will show up. If you unlock the doors, they will enter, you know. Uh, it didn't really matter what else is going on. That will happen. When I grew up, uh, the, the way it worked, at least where I lived, uh, deep in the, the southeast, was that, you know what? Wednesday nights, there's no homework. 
Kids, would you like that? Yeah. Uh, Wednesdays after 5 p.m., there's no more sports. Sundays are completely off limits. You know, there's never going to be a conflict there. Man, has the world changed. And what I hear from people in church, you know what I hear? I hear complaining about that. I hear longing for things to be the way that they used to be. And we can do that. We can long for it and we can complain about it. But let me just ask a really simple question. How's that working for you? You know, it's not helpful. The world has changed. The question is, have we? And the truth is, the church was not born in a culture that was friendly to the church. Right? When Paul is writing this letter to his friends in Philippi, life did not revolve around the church. The culture did not revolve around the church. Paul is calling them out of that into living a different life, into living a different way. And it was out of that culture that the church was born. And get this, that the church thrived. We're just hoping the church will survive. Paul is looking for the church to thrive. They were able to thrive. Why? Yes, they had a citizenship. They had one foot in this country. But they leveraged that because they had a foot in this country. And they were living from this place called the kingdom of heaven. And that's where their identity was found. That's where it was formed. That's where they lived from. And so they leveraged this identity to lean into this other identity and to share the news of Jesus. And Paul is calling these people to do the same, to live as citizens of heaven, to live on mission with a purpose. Uh, Everything Paul writes, it's not so much about what's going on inside these four walls. It's about how to live and do life outside these four walls, to live as citizens of heaven. And then Paul says this. He says, we are eagerly waiting for him, for Jesus, to return as our Savior. And I'll be real honest, when I read that, I wasn't very excited about it. (laughs) Because Paul says, we're waiting. And I don't know about you, but I feel like this is the problem with a lot of us. We're just waiting. And for us, you know what waiting means? That means sit on the couch, turn on Netflix, and we're just waiting. (laughs) We're just waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting for somebody to fix it. We're waiting for it to all work out. We're just waiting. That's not the kind of waiting Paul is talking about. And I had to do a little homework here. But that word waiting, you know what it literally means? Okay, wait for this. Literally what Paul said, the word wait means this. To assiduously and patiently wait for. I know, that really helped you a lot, didn't it? Yeah, I'm not very smart. I didn't know what assiduously meant. I had to get another dictionary to find that one out. That word means, you probably know, but for the other two of you that are like me that don't, uh, assiduously means this. It means showing great care, attention, and effort. So this waiting, it isn't the sitting on the sidelines kind of waiting. In fact, if you look up synonyms, which really was most helpful to me for the word assiduously, What you find are words like active, busy, diligent, employed, engaged, industrious, laborious, occupied, working. Paul says we're we're, we're eagerly waiting. We are waiting expectantly. It's not that we're on the sidelines waiting. It's that that we're in the game and we're waiting for our turn to make a difference. This is how we live. We live expectantly. We live eagerly. We live as citizens of heaven waiting to make a difference in the world around us. So what would happen? What would happen if you lived? from your primary identity as a citizen of heaven. Leveraging 
whatever other identity you have as a citizen of earth? What if you lived your life as a citizen of heaven with a mission and a purpose to make a difference in this world for the name of Jesus? If you go to legacy.com, you will find their obituaries from all across the United States and honestly all across the world. And if you want to find out about someone's legacy, then you can go and read their obituary and you can learn about their life. Uh, This week on Legacy.com, I think it's already changed, but this past week, uh, there was a national spotlight on a man by the name of Tim Conway. You remember Tim Conway? Some of you know who he is. Some of you have no idea who he is. 1933 to 2019. I remember Tim Conway because I grew up with my family watching the Carol Burnett TV show. And I remember laughing, like, you know, uncontrollably laughing. I I went back this week and I watched a a clip of him doing a sketch, um, uh, pretending to be a dentist on the first day of the job. You remember this one? And uh, this guy comes in with a toothache. It's a Sunday. And just nine minutes, I couldn't stop laughing, you know. Today you can't, if the video is more than 30 seconds, you you know, you you just get bored. Uh, For nine minutes, I'm just laughing, watching him act this out. That's his legacy. There's more to it, but he entertained us for a while, made us laugh, and we've got fond memories of him. It's one thing to get your obituary on Legacy.com, something else to maybe get it in the the local paper, maybe even in a, a national paper if you're important enough. Did you know that the Bible actually has its own obituary section? Sometimes we call it the the Heroes of Faith or the Hall of Fame, but in Hebrews 11, this is what it is. It's it's really a list of people who had a legacy of faith. And this morning, if you'll let me, I just want to read a few of those to you because I want you to hear the way Scripture talks about some people who left a tremendous legacy of faith. Hebrews 11.1 starts this way. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And then the writer says this, Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. What does that mean? They they left a legacy, a legacy of faith. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did, Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us. How? By his legacy. By his example of faith. My favorite. I've got a favorite. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known. This was his legacy. He was a person who please God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah, you probably have heard of Noah, built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God and warned, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes, how? By faith. It was by faith that Abraham, I love this one too, obeyed God. When God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance, he went without even knowing where he was going. I know what that feels like, but Abraham did it by faith. 
He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was a foreigner, like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. That's his legacy. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, another country, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The Hebrew writer goes on and on and on to talk about people of faith who left a legacy of faith. And then in verse 39, the author says this, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. They earned a good reputation of faith. They left a legacy of faith. But none of them received what God had promised. Why? Because they lived on the other other side of the cross. They lived a life full of faith, believing in God, but not yet seeing the Son of the God they believed come from heaven to earth, the Messiah. But you and I... We live on this side of the cross. So how do we leave a legacy of faith? What if we just lean into Paul's words to be citizens of heaven? What if we, like Paul, what if we live, what if our lives, what if this was our legacy that we live for the benefit of God's church, the spread of his gospel and the glory of God? of his great name. What if this life lived as a citizen of heaven was our legacy? Church, let's stand. Paul says one last thing. What happens when we live as citizens of heaven and we leave a legacy of faith? Paul doesn't want you to be confused, so he says this in the very next verse. When you do that, Jesus will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. This is what happens when you and I live for the benefit of God's church, for the spread of his gospel, and for the glory of his great name. And this is my prayer, that this will be true of us. Parents, moms, dads, man, let's lean into this. Grandparents, let's lean into this. Church, Let's lean into this. May we live for the benefit of God's church. May we live for the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And may we live for the glory and the honor of his great name. What a legacy.